Well, today we start a new chapter in John's Gospel. It's exciting. We move pretty slow through uh, the text, so when we get this, there's a new number. I, I get excited about that. Um, in all seriousness, uh, we to John 7 starts a whole new uh, section. Uh, from here on out, Jesus... Our story today is about Jesus moving from Galilee down to Jerusalem, his northern base of operations and his early gospel ministry, and then to Jerusalem, his southern base of operations in the latter part of his gospel ministry. That's what we read here. And then from here on out through the rest of John's gospel, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And each little story, each episode, brings him and us as we join him one step closer to the cross. So today, actually, in our study, marks a significant point. This is when we start looking toward the cross. And as we're moving through Advent, uh, after Advent, the next big thing in the church calendar is Lent, when we look towards the cross. And so this is exciting. So today, John 7. Um, as we get into it, let's just remember real quick what happened in John 6. Remember, it was the big feeding thousands of people thing, walking on water, and then Jesus gave that famous bread of life discourse sermon in the synagogue that's so rich with doctrine and theology, and it's beautiful. But after he gave it, uh, it says that many of his disciples abandoned him and left him. So that had just happened. Um, Jesus had just given this uh, incredible, beautiful sermon. He had thousands of followers, and then pretty much almost all of them left. Uh, Disappointed, offended, confused, frustrated. The masses left, his disciples left, and what what remained uh, was just his inner circle. And we, last week we looked at that inner circle, it's Jesus called the Twelve, I'm sure there probably were a few others with him. He had other disciples in his inner circle who weren't part of the Twelve. We think about his mom, Mary. We think about uh, the other two Marys, Mary um, and Martha, and then uh, Mary Magdalene. We think about these other people, Lazarus. Uh, but in our text, it talks about the Twelve remaining. And they only stayed because, as we read Peter, he kind of spoke for the group is they told Jesus, hey, look, we don't really have another place to go. So Jesus had just come down from like a major, uh, think about what, how, his, how he's doing emotionally here in this story as a human being. And now his brothers, um, we learned from the synoptic gospels that Jesus had at least four brothers and some sisters. Now his brothers don't believe in him and they're, they're basically mocking him in this story. So that's where we are. Um, last week we talked about the twelve being having that special name because they were the ones who were like officially enrolled in Jesus's rabbinical program. They were the official students <coughs> in Jesus's school. Uh, they would go on to become the twelve apostles with one roster change. Judas gets changed out for Matthias later for good reasons. Uh, but they would go on to become the overseers of uh, the church, which is really the continuing uh, Jesus school. So that's where we are. 
Um, and then I, I want to bring this up, not just for context, but I want us to have this image of Jesus and his 12 students in our minds. Because our story today, even though it tells, uh, gives an account of how Jesus got from Galilee to Jerusalem, it's not really uh, just about filling in the details of why Jesus' base of operations switched locations. Uh, it's really a story with a lesson for us to learn. Uh, it's a story about how Jesus, as a master, as a rabbi, as a teacher, as Lord, about how he makes decisions, about how he executes his plan, about how he guides his students. It's really a story about leadership, about how Jesus uh, conducted himself as a leader, what Jesus valued as a leader. This story gives us like a, a window into Jesus's inner leadership mind. Now, that's important because like the 12, if you're a baptized Christian, then you're officially enrolled in his discipleship school. And if you're not, but you're here, you're still participating in his discipleship program. So we want to try to be like him. We want to learn from him. So when we get this look into Jesus's leadership mind, into Jesus's leadership values, we want to pay attention like a student pays attention to a teacher. Uh, we want to pay attention like a disciple watches a master because his values, we want them to become our values. His methods, we want them to become our methods. We talk about trusting in Jesus as our Savior, and that's really important. That's right at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. But as we learned uh, Two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? I don't know. Before now. Uh, at the core of true faith is relationship. It's relationship with Jesus. So we want to learn from him relationally because we want to grow up to be like him. I'm reminded of something that John wrote in one of his epistles in 1 John. It's 1 John 2.6. He said, Whoever claims to live in God must live as Jesus did. Uh, that's an incredible verse. Whoever claims to live in God, to live in God's presence, to live a life filled with God, to live faithfully uh, before God, whoever claims to live in God must live as Jesus lived. Sometimes I get nervous when people start talking about um, uh, wanting to be uh, like Jesus or wanting to be like a little Jesus or an apprentice of Jesus sometimes that makes me a little uncomfortable because we could never fully achieve that and we're not really called to grow up to be saviors of the world <laughs> we're not really called to uh, redeem God's people out of darkness and sin and despair we, we, we can't ever fully be like him but it is true, and John reminds us, if we want to be the people of God, if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be a redeemed people, if we want to be filled with God, a major part of it, in fact, I would say just as much as relationship and trusting him for salvation, is a desire, a commitment to grow up, to be like him, 
He's not just our Savior. He's also our example. He's also our teacher. And we're going to be his students forever. Part of what eternal life means. So, today's passage. Jesus is going from up north to down south. He's switching ministry locations. But John gives us a look at his thinking. He gives us a look at his we can see through his actions, Jesus' values. And we as students want to look at this and say, I want to be like that. So, leadership. We look at Jesus' leadership, values, and goals in this passage. And we want to say, I want to be like that. So in a way, our passage is not just about Jesus switching locations. Our passage is about Jesus' leadership. And so we as students want to look at that. What kind of leader was Jesus? How did he, what did he value as a leader? How did he make decisions? Because we want to be leaders like that. Now, uh, it is true when pastors give sermons about leadership, um, very often uh, that sermon comes from a place that's kind of like this. Hey, I'm your pastor. Obviously, I'm a good leader. Let me show you how it's done. Let me just say on the front end, uh, that's not my intention here. Uh, I'm a student just like you guys. And uh, if you've hung around Hope for any length of time, you know that there's a lot of areas in leadership where I'm just not very good at it. And uh, so we're in this together. Here's the other thing. Uh, sometimes when somebody teaches on leadership, there's usually someone in the group that thinks, yeah, I'm not really a leader, so this doesn't apply to me. And it's true that not everybody gets the same leadership opportunities in life. It's true that not everybody is gifted in leadership. And it's true that there's some people in the world that just uh, probably hardly ever get opportunities or have any desire to lead anything. That's true. However, every single person in the world and every single person here is called to be a follower all of us follow some leader somewhere in our lives. In fact, all of us follow many leaders in many places in our lives. Part of what it means to grow into Christian maturity is to grow in the wisdom of how to choose which leaders we follow and how closely we follow them. So even if you're not gifted as a leader, if you're not a, you don't think of yourself as a leader, or if you think that you're the best leader in town and you're leading everything, all the way through the spectrum. This message applies to us because we all need to grow in our ability not just to lead, but to follow. Okay, there's your introduction. So, what is John, the gospel writer, in this text teaching us about Jesus' leadership? What does leadership in the school of Jesus look like? Well, First thing we see in this passage is what kind of leadership values Jesus rejects. What kind of leadership uh, values, commitments, desires does Jesus say no to? What kind of leader isn't Jesus? That's kind of how John presents this. It says that Jesus uh, didn't want to go to Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. That seems perfectly reasonable. I don't want to go where people want to kill me. Um, but the Festival of Tabernacles was near. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. What we need to know for now is it was the 
biggest feast of the whole year in the Jewish calendar at this time. Kind of like we're preparing for Christmas, which is kind of the biggest holiday in uh, American culture, uh, at least dominant American culture. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was like the big thing for Jews at this time. So the feast is coming, and Jesus' brothers are trying to get Jesus to go to the feast. And they say that, hey, John tells us they're saying it out of unbelief. They're taunting him. They're mocking him. Uh, hey, you need to go because everybody's going to be there. Then you can show the people the works that you do. Nobody tries to lead a movement in obscurity. You need to go on, go on, get out there. Everyone's there. It'll be a great platform. You can unveil all of your abilities, all of your glory to the people. Show yourself to the world. And Jesus says, nah, I'm not doing that. And then, strangely enough, later he goes, but he goes in obscurity. He goes in secret. What kind of leader is Jesus not? What kind of leadership values does he reject? Well, we see in the story that Jesus is not the kind of leader who is driven by his own desires for security and significance. That's important. We see in the story that Jesus' basic human desires for security to be safe Jesus' basic human desires to be significant. We all have them. They're not driving his leadership bus. They're not in charge. Let's look at this safety thing. Everybody, every human being is born with a natural, innate, inborn desire to be safe. I, I guess if somebody doesn't have that, we'd probably call it a, a, like a mental illness. We'd, we'd try to help that person. Because it's natural for us to want to preserve our lives our lives to be safe we see that in Jesus here it says that he did not want to go to Judea because the Jewish leaders the word there is the word uh, is the Greek word for Judeans it's the Jerusalem based religious establishment we know them throughout John's gospel they're Jesus's number one opponents the established religious leaders in Jerusalem they wanted to kill him so he says look I don't want to be around those people I don't want to go there it's dangerous uh, it says that Jesus knew his enemies were in Jerusalem. He knew it would be dangerous for him to go. People were looking for him in Jerusalem. But he decided to go anyway. That's important. And when he went, he went uh, in obscurity. He went, I don't know if he just put like his hoodie up or like, I don't, like, I don't know how he did that. But he, he went anyway. That's important. It's important that Jesus felt this compulsion to be safe, to protect himself, to stay away from conflict, but that he decided to not let that compulsion, maybe fear, maybe he was afraid, to control him. He had, just like we all do, this primal desire to be safe, but that desire was not in charge of his actions. Also, he when he did go, when I guess he, maybe we could say, faced the fear. When he decided to go anyway, he went in obscurity. He cloaked his identity. That's important. If all of us have this inborn desire to be safe, to preserve ourselves, when we're called to do things that are scary, we're called to lead, 
usually we deal with that in, innate desire to be safe by either being super, super cautious or some people deal with it by just running headlong into a conflict, facing their fears boldly and sort of ignoring the inner voice that says to be careful and be safe. In leaders, one of the ways that we can see if their desire for security is in charge of their leadership is if they're completely risk averse, they never want to take risks, or if everything they do is pursuing risk and conflict. Because in one or the other of those, their leadership is bending around or caving to their inner desire to be safe. It's important that what we see Jesus doing here is acknowledging, listening to his inner voice that says, Jesus, be careful, but not letting that inner voice be in charge. That's extremely important. That's good leadership. We see Jesus here acting in a very human way. We see Jesus maybe uh, in weakness. But we see Jesus exercising wisdom as a leader to not let that inner alarm system be in charge. That's really important. He knows how to live with his inner alarm system and how to manage it. Um, Here's the other thing. Uh, That's the security thing. The other thing is the significance thing. Just like each of us has an inborn innate desire to be safe, each of us has an innate inborn desire to be significant. We want to be loved. We want to love other people. We want our lives to matter. God made us in his image. God is love. God made us in his image. God is involved in eternal relationship. We talked about the Father and the Son in the context of the Holy Spirit. It means we're like that. When we're born, we want to be loved. When we're born, we want to be held. We want to be cared for. As we grow, we want to love other people. We want to be significant. Now, many leaders in our world today, this craving for significance is driving their leadership bus. It's in charge. Above all else, the thing that directs their leadership decisions, if it isn't fear, or if it isn't uh, the desire to avoid or to confront conflict or danger, then it's this desire to be significant. Um, We know leaders who uh, become obsessed with looking good, become obsessed with growing their platform, growing their followers, become obsessed with controlling other people's lives. Uh, Narcissistic and abusive leaders. We can look at all of these different kinds of leadership dysfunctions and very often see, oh, this leader, uh, their desire to be loved and to love other people is in charge, is driving the bus, And they've given that desire so much power that it's become twisted and it's become unhealthy. And it's actually hurting people. Uh, They become self-centered or narcissistic or abusive. 
we see in this passage that Jesus does not let his de desire, his human desire to be significant, drive his leadership bus. It's not in charge. His brothers, they say, leave Galilee and go to Judea so your disciples may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure who acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. They're speaking to Jesus. As Jesus wanted people to know him. Jesus wants people to know him still. He is God's word. He is God in the flesh. God wants people to know God. That's real. And they're speaking to that desire. Jesus was probably tempted by this. This kind of parallels the story in the Synoptic Gospels where Jesus is tempted by the devil. And the devil says, I'll give you all these kingdoms. They could all be yours. He was tempted there. He's probably tempted here. Remember, Jesus had just lost thousands of followers, including many of his disciples. And the 12, his official students, told him to his face, hey, we're just here because we have no other place to go. And now his very own brothers are mocking his life calling, mocking the work that he came to do. Jesus here is in an emotionally vulnerable state. And you know what? He could have gone to Jerusalem with his hood down. He could have rolled in at this point, done some crazy miracle, and said, hey guys, look how awesome I am. Yes, it would have disrupted God's perfect plan for his gospel ministry, but I bet he would have felt good, at least for a moment. But Jesus didn't let his desire to be significant be in charge. It wasn't the thing that drove his decisions. It wasn't the final word uh, on his thinking. It wasn't in charge. So, at the very primal level of our humanity exists desires to be safe and to be significant. And we see Jesus here his leadership style, his leadership values, the way he makes decisions, those things are rooted in something deeper than his primal humanity. That's important. The roots of his leadership values, uh, the uh, things that directed his plans, points of reference for his decision making went deeper deeper than his innermost human self and if we think about leaders in our world today think about, think about your parents think about your teachers think about your pastors civil servants politicians how would our world how would your relationship with your leaders or maybe if you lead something at your job or home or among your friends how would leadership be different if all of us were like this if something deeper than our humanity was driving our leadership bus I think the world would be a very different place if we think about dysfunctional leadership leaders that are always uh, trying to start a fight always pursuing conflict think about leaders uh, on a global level, this comes out in, in uh, warmongering leadership. 
You think about narcissistic leadership, emotionally abusive leadership, leaders who are two-faced and shady. Usually we can point, we can, we can take the problem of their leadership and trace it all the way back somewhere to a basic human desire to be safe or to be significant that has become twisted because it's been given too much power. But we see Jesus is driven and shaped and guided by something deeper. And we see that that's the kind of leadership that he wants us to learn. So, what kind of leadership is Jesus not? He's not the kind of leader whose leadership foundation rests in the basic primal level of his humanity. The roots of his leadership go deeper. So, what is that deeper thing? What is Jesus' leadership rooted in? Maybe the cheap answer is to say, well, he's not just human, Charlie. He's also God. That's true. So, yes, his leadership values go all the way into his godness. But remember, the way Jesus leads, he wants us to learn his methods. He wants us to be like him. In fact, to be a disciple, to be a person who lives in God's kingdom is to imitate him. And I'm not God. I'm not fully God. So there's something about his leadership that's communicable that we can learn for ourselves. We can become like him in this way. So what is it? It's not just his divinity. It's something else, something we can do. Well, I think the answer to this can be found in our story in this whole deal about Jesus flip-flopping about going to Jerusalem. This is part of the story that is complicated and a little bit weird. Jesus' brothers say, go to Jerusalem and, you know, reveal yourself and you get all these followers. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Jesus actually clearly says, what does he say? My time is not here for you. Any time will do. The Lord cannot hate you. I mean, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival. Jesus says, I'm not going to do it because my time is not yet. After this, he stayed in Galilee. And then it says, after this, his brothers, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. That part of our story is strange. Jesus says clearly, I'm not going. And then what does he do? He goes. How do we explain that? Well, in that explanation rests the key understanding Jesus' leadership. Throughout history, there have been uh, various answers, various ways to try to explain Jesus' flip-flop here. Some people say that Jesus lied to his brothers, or maybe it was a noble lie. Um, I don't think so, because that would be totally out of character for Jesus. Uh, that would be... Uh, I mean, we read in the Gospels Jesus being this perfect, sinless human being. Uh, and if he lied, he lied here, um, that would be way out of character for him. Also, if he lied here and John was recording it, uh, then probably John would be compelled to explain that. And we'd see in other Gospel writings people explaining, why did Jesus lie? If he lied, it would trip an alarm in the text, and it doesn't. So probably Jesus didn't lie. I don't think he did. Okay. Some say, some have said through the ages, 
Jesus did exactly what he set out to do, but John's text, the Gospel of John, the way he describes it, is unclear. It looks like Jesus flip-flops here, but really he didn't. Uh, there's various explanations for or ways that people have claimed that John's text is unclear. They say that when Jesus said, my time is not he- yet here, when he says, I'm not, I'm not going to the festival uh, because he's speaking in the present tense, what, really what he's saying is, I am not presently speaking right now on my way to the festival, but you guys go ahead and go. Maybe, uh, but I think it's pretty clear Jesus says, I'm not going. You guys go. Usually when I say, hey guys, I'm not going, that doesn't mean I'm not presently in the car driving to the location. It usually means I'm not going to go. Some people have said that really the text should say, uh, Jesus says, I'm not yet going to the festival. If you have an NIV, there's a little footnote that says some manuscripts have that word, yet. That's true. Some early texts of John's Gospel say, Jesus says, I'm not yet going to the festival. Uh, but that's not the majority of the manuscripts, and that apparently that's not the best ones. Chances are some scribes somewhere added the word yet to try to reconcile the tension here, and it got picked up. So maybe Jesus did what he was going to do the whole time, but John's text is unclear. Well, I don't think so, because John's Gospel is one of the most... Uh, in the Greek, you learn how to read John's Gospel your first semester of taking New Testament Greek. It is the most basic language. It, it's like a third grade rating level in the Greek. And it would be out of character for John to present this story in an obscure, veiled way. So I don't think Jesus lied, and I don't think John told the story in a crappy way that's hard to understand. I think probably what happened is I think would be the most obvious reading of the text, the most clear thing. It's this. Jesus' brother said, go to the festival. You can do your thing and gain lots of followers. Jesus says, I'm not doing that, guys. I'm not going. And he meant it. But then they left, and Jesus changed his mind and decided to go anyway. We've seen Jesus do this before. At a wedding at Cana, his mom comes up. They're out of wine. He's like, what do you want this to do with me? I'm not, that's not my problem. And then he goes, uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the water to wine. I'm going to do it. We've seen him change his mind before. I think he changed his mind. Now, why is that important? Well, Jesus said he wouldn't go because his desire for security, significance, basic primal human needs and wants he wasn't going to bow to those things those were the things his brother was speaking brothers were speaking to and Jesus says no I'm not into that I'm not going to go but later he changed why would he change why would he change his mind is he caving in to his basic human desires to his brother's taunting no because he goes in obscurity why would he change his mind I think he only would have changed his mind for one reason. If the closest people in his life were the ones saying to him, you should go, and he said no, then it would have to be someone closer than his brothers saying to him, ah, you really should go, for him to say yes. 
I think Jesus changed his mind because God told him to. I think the father said, no, Jesus, actually, now is the time for you to go. And he said, okay. Kind of like in the wedding at Cana story, Jesus' mom says, you should do something. And first he says no, and he goes, okay. Probably because it was his mom. Now his father, we don't see it in the text. I think the father says to go. Remember in John 5, after Jesus got in trouble for healing a guy on the Sabbath, and he's trying to explain to the Judeans why he did it. Remember how he talked about his father? He said, my father is always at work, and I too am working. He said, the son can do nothing by himself, but only what he sees the father doing, because what the father does, the son also does. Jesus had already taught us that if the father tells him to do something, he does it. In fact, he doesn't do anything unless the father says to do it. So when we see Jesus changing his mind, I think it's pretty safe for us to say, oh, it's because God told him to do it. I think that's the key to this whole leadership thing. Jesus, unlike the great leaders of our world, Jesus is not leading out of his inner self. Jesus is taking cues from the Father. Jesus is not leading from his basic, primal human desires. Jesus is leading from focusing on God, listening to God, and doing God's will. He's in communion with the Father. He's in relationship with the Father. It's out of that relationship that he makes his leadership decisions. It's out of that relationship that he decides to go to Jerusalem. It's out of that relationship that he decides to face fears. That he decides to hood up and hide his identity and say no to the temptation to go shooting lightning bolts and lasers and wooing everybody. His relationship to the Father is central. Jesus' leadership is leadership that instead of coming out of our inner selves, instead of coming out of our best judgment, comes out of God. It follows God's judgment and God's commands. Jesus is not self-focused. He is God-focused. His self-awareness even comes from God. He's anchored in God-awareness. His desire to be safe doesn't rule him. His relationship with God does. His desire to be significant doesn't rule him. His relationship with God is ruling him. He doesn't need to chase after the basic human desires to be significant and to be safe because in God, in his relationship with the Father, he has all the safety he needs. He has all the significance he needs. He can say no to his taunting brothers. He can continue even though people have rejected him. He can stick to his mission because he is 100% rooted and secure and shaped by God. That gives him the strength to be a good leader, to stand against the tide of peer pressure, just to look beyond short-sightedness, to be rooted in something deeper than himself. And in this way, Jesus' leadership actually stands apart from the best leadership of the world. Look at this passage and see Jesus' God-rootedness 
God, de God dependency, God awareness, we see that Jesus actually is not really a self-made man. He's shaped by God. Jesus is not really an entrepreneur. Jesus is not really a trailblazer or a maverick. He's not really at the lead of his own movement. God is. So, here's the lesson. In the school of Jesus, being a good leader actually means being a good follower. At the heart of the leadership values of the greatest human leader at all time doesn't exist the best of uh, our primal humanity unfiltered and unmoved. No. It exists a human being that is fully dependent on God, resting in God, in communion with God. He doesn't do anything unless the Father tells him to do it. Jesus is not in the driver's seat of his own life. And he's the perfect human being. God is. Now, I'll actually, him following God at this point is actually the turning the corner in his saving the world endeavors. Remember, he goes to Jerusalem, and from this point on, tension builds until he goes to the cross. So, if Jesus is the leader who values God's will above his own, who's committed to God's plan above his own instincts, who rests and relies on God for his own decision-making. If Jesus Christ, the perfect human being, the perfect God-filled human being, the greatest leader of all time, doesn't lead as a maverick or a trailblazer or a self-made man, but leads actually with openness regarding his primal desires to be significant and safe but with a, a heart and a mind that's resting on God that's watching God that doesn't move unless God moves if that's the greatest human leadership of all time the kind that actually saved the world then what are we doing when we try to lead by taking our cues from whatever our own primal desires are what are we doing when we choose to follow leaders who are clearly driven by their own uh, desires to be safe and secure, to make a profit, or their own desires to be loved? There's really only one true leader in our world. It's God. Everyone else is either following him or their leadership values are really a mockery of what it means to truly lead as a human being. Leadership in the school of Jesus is actually following. And if Jesus was a follower, that means every single one of us is a follower. And that changes the way, that should change the way we think about leadership. In God's kingdom, leadership is not a pyramid where 
uh, Jesus leads, and then we have a few people that follow him, but they do a really good job, so we follow those people. And then there's this pyramid of leadership and discipleship that comes down to us. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work like this. Hey, I'm your pastor, so I'm really close to God, you know, and I'm kind of further along because I have this holy job. Uh, so you know what? I'm going to go away, and I'm going to talk to God, and I'm going to figure it out because I already have, and then you do whatever I tell you. Uh, you just try to be like me. It doesn't work that way. It works like this. Hey, here's a picture of God working in the world. Here's where God's working. Now let's all go together. Sometimes I'll lead. Sometimes you lead. really doesn't matter because we're all following him. It's not a pyramid. It's a community. Maybe that's why the church is called the body of Christ or the community of the Spirit. Now think about our churches. Think about our places we work. Think about our country. Are they structured that way? Usually not. But what is God doing in our world right now? What do we hope for God to do in our church? Well, the answer is to change some things. To make a difference. To set the world aright. Well, if that's what he's doing, and we need leaders in that endeavor, human leaders like Jesus, then maybe we as a people need to get tuned into a different kind of leadership structure. Maybe we need to tell hero stories about great leaders that are more like Jesus than they are like our favorite entrepreneur our favorite self-made man or woman. Maybe our system of people rising to the top because they've done the best with their humanity, so we're just going to try to rise to the top like they do. Maybe it's backwards. Maybe we shouldn't be thinking about how to get to the top. Maybe we should be thinking about how to follow better and how to follow together. Maybe how to get to the bottom how to get into something deeper than humanity. There's a reason God broke into this world as a baby. Helpless baby. There's a reason that God saved the world by going to the cross, by being beat up and crucified. And there's a reason before Jesus ascended to the throne, he took time to do things like sit on beaches with his disciples. Sit in a room like this one and have meetings. Or tell his disciple Thomas, who was like the most sarcastic doubter, to touch him, to feel him. There's a humility in God's leadership in Christ. And it's because Jesus Christ, as a human being, was fully devoted to following God and that's what he teaches us how to do so there's really only one leader in the world so what does leadership in the school of Jesus look like 
Well, it doesn't look like any other kind of leadership we've ever seen. It looks like following. So may God shape us to be like him. And as we trust him for our salvation, may we grow more and more into his image. Whatever God is doing in this city and in our hearts and in our friend groups, may he do it in us as we say we're not going to let our primal human instincts be in charge. We're going to submit those things to God because he's the real leader here. Let's pray.